So a very important day in the Buddhist religion is coming up soon. And that is uh, the day that the Buddha was born and was enlightened and attained to Thana Nibbana. So before the Buddha was born, he developed his paramis, his spiritual perfections to their fullest. And uh, he had previously, before his final birth, had sacrificed his life, sacrificed his flesh and blood for countless times. And before he got the uh, prediction, the confirmation that he would be a Buddha, he had already been practicing to develop these paramis for tena sankhayas. And then after he received his prediction, then he had to develop his parami for another four asankhayas. And so before he got his prediction, um, he was in one life uh, born in Varanasi and his older brother then got a confirmation from the Buddha of that time that, that he would be uh, a future Buddha. But uh, Buddha at that time, he also uh, developed the desire to become a Buddha as well, to attain to, to the, the field of the Buddhas or to, to the state of being a Buddha. And so he had to further develop his, his paramis from that point. And one way he did this was by offering oil to the Buddha of that time. And so from that point, after he got his prediction, he had to uh, develop his parami for another four sankhyas and uh, 100,000 kalpas or eons, which is uh, an extremely long time. And so through all of these lives that the Buddha lived, he had to develop these spiritual perfections. And that was something that was <clears throat> not easy to do at all. He had to sacrifice his life many times. So we can see in this time in our world that there are people who are also sacrificing their lives for the sake of others. There are many doctors and nurses who are putting their lives on at risk in order to help those who have uh, this uh, coronavirus and to try to relieve them from their illness. And many of them have passed away. Many of the doctors and nurses have lost their lives because of this. But this is just one life that they're losing. Our Buddha, however, had to lose his life, had to sacrifice his life for countless times. He had to give up his wife. He had to give up his children and all his possessions in order to attain to the knowledge that comes from liberation and from enlightenment. So all of these 10 Bharamis he had to develop from the ordinary state to the point where he was willing to give up his life in order to develop them. We have the perfection of effort, the perfection of kindness, of uh, endurance, 
of morality, of uh, upeka or equanimity. And he had to, to build these uh, many, many times. Also in some lifetimes, he really focused on the perfection of truthfulness of satya. And only when he had developed these to their full state did he decide to get born into this last life of his. And when he came into the womb, he had mindfulness. And this is a, a mark of a great being. Only a great man, a great being, is able to have mindfulness when they come into the womb and to have mindfulness when they're born. And when he was a child, um, even though he was just very young, he still had that, that great barami. And so the, the rishi, the, um, who was a teacher of his father, King Sudodana, uh, paid respects to him and circumambulated him because he saw that he had the parami to become a self-awakened Buddha. When he was just seven years old, he sat under a tree and could enter into first jhana with ease. And this shows that the power of his samadhi was very great, that he was able to, to get into that jhana with such ease. And it must have been a very stable and unshaking state. And so in his many past lives, he had developed these states, he had um, developed samadhi. So in his last life, he was able to do that. And then when he went to study with his teachers before he became enlightened, and they taught him uh, the different levels of jhana and the different levels of the, the formless jhanas, it wasn't long at all before he was able to get into those as well. So he had, he had that parami there behind him, that the power of his perfections there, that he was able to attain those states with ease. But all that was left for him to do was defeating the defilements in his mind. When he went into jhana and then came out again, he was able to use that peace to contemplate into the Dhamma. And uh, understanding arose to him in terms of um, conditionality and the uh, Paticca Samapada. So he saw that when there is uh, a vicha, when there is ignorance, then there'll be the Sankharas, the um, conditioned phenomena. And then from that, there's the Nama Rupa, the physicality and mentality. And then from that comes consciousness. And then following on from that is Vedana, feeling and then contact, and then there's a craving and then attachment. On from that, there's becoming and then birth, which all leads on to suffering. But it doesn't just stop at suffering, that suffering comes back and it follows that, that pattern down in reverse order. So there's this birth, which then comes from becoming, which comes from attachment, which in turn comes from craving. And that then comes from uh, Vedana or feeling until it gets down to avicca, ignorance. And so it circles around like this, back and forth, back and forth. And this is what we know as uh, sangsara, 
the cycle of birth and death that's a constant process in the heart. So the Buddha was able to gain this wisdom for himself in his own mind and could contemplate in a way that uh, ignorance was destroyed. And then light arose, wisdom arose in things that he had never heard before. So he saw that when there's a cause for something to arise, then that thing will arise. And then from that, he could see that there's no true self within that thing, that it's just dependent on its causes. He further contemplated that we have suffering and the reason that there is suffering is because there is a cause for it to come up. And that cause is craving, craving for sensuality, craving to become and craving not to become. And this is the cause for the stress and suffering that we experience. He also realized the path leading out of that, this path of Siddha Samadhi Panya, that takes us out of suffering. And so this was then wisdom that came up, the wisdom to give up craving and to experience Niroda, the cessation of suffering, to realize the freedom of the heart. And this is what we can call as analio. There's, there's no place for craving to stay. There's no place for it to abide in. So this is one of the great qualities of the Buddha, that he was an arahant, someone who was far away from the kilesas. He was enlightened by himself, and his heart became pure. He had the great compassion and the the way that we reflect on that is through all of the lives that he sacrificed himself to build his perfections before he became the buddha and also after he became enlightened as well that he gave up so much time and energy he gave up the rest of his life in order to teach others and this is his great compassion so when he realized enlightenment for himself, he then went to teach the path out of suffering, this path of sila samadhi panya, of morality, of uh, the concentration of the mind and of wisdom. And we then, through that teaching, and because he taught, we're able to know that path as well. And we're also able to gain faith in the Buddha that he really was enlightened. And so he had the body of a Buddha that had the 32 parts there uh, in a very, he's a complete body. But the enlightenment that he gained was in his heart, in his mind, that he gained under the Bodhi tree. He was, and so when he went into Fanonibbana, that was him letting go of his body and letting go of the five khandas. And then when he let go of those, then he naturally went into Paranibbana, into complete Nibbana. He taught that those who see the Dhamma, see the Buddha, 
because the Buddha is there within the Dhamma. When the Buddha became enlightened, he was light, enlightened within his own mind and enlightened to the Dhamma. This is the, and that was him experiencing emptiness and the purity of heart by himself. And then he told others and he taught the path to realizing that purity and that emptiness and others could then practice that for themselves. In terms of the Buddha's body, his physical body, what we have left now are the relics that are in various places. But if we train on this path of practice, and then we'll be able to see into the Dhamma for ourselves, we'll be able to abandon wrong views and develop right views, which will allow us to understanding the Dhamma. When we do this, then we will know for sure that the Buddha was enlightened. There won't be any doubt in our mind. We'll see that the Dhamma that the Buddha taught really does lead to awakening. And that there were and are awakened disciples of the Buddha. That everyone is able to practice this path to seeing the Dhamma. We can all do it and we can all free our hearts from the defilements. So everyone really try to develop this path and follow it because it does lead to that. And this is what the Krubhajans, the, the great teachers of our time had taught as well, whether Ajahn Man or Ajahn Chah, they all taught to follow this very same path of practice. And they will take us to seeing the Dhamma and in turn to uh, seeing for ourselves the Buddha as well. So we should be very firm in our hearts in this path. To not have a shaking faith, but try to develop a very stable faith in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and a very strong belief in these things. When our faith is full, then that will provide us with a strong energy to practice. And uh, this is a parami that, that we're developing, this parami of, of effort and of energy. And so we have the, the faith in this path of practice and the faith in developing goodness, in giving and being generous, and the faith in uh, maintaining our body and speech so that they're wholesome and good, maintaining our morality. And some people keep the five precepts on a regular basis, but then they have that strength of faith to go even further than that on some days. So perhaps on the lunar observance days or days that they have off work, then they'll keep the eight precepts. And when they do this, it's a good opportunity to uh, let go of many duties that we would otherwise have, to not have to busy ourselves with other obligations. And we don't have to eat in the evening either. So the body feels very light, and that's a conducive state with which to uh, develop samadhi. So this shows, if people are able to do this, it shows that they have great strength, uh, great faith. 
faith in this practice and following this path of practice that will take us to seeing the Dhamma. So when we develop our wisdom a lot, then we'll get the feeling that we won't want anything from this life. All the possessions that we gain, all of the money that we get, we can't take any of that with us. We'll have to throw it all away in this world, abandon it all when we leave. And so that then gives us this inspiration to, to give that money and that, that wealth away beforehand. So I give my anamodana to everyone who has that faith, to all the lay people that, that have that strength of faith. The faith in the Buddha-sasana and this Buddhist religion and this, this faith in building goodness. We then take it further and, and use that faith to develop this path of practice and to uh, keep our mindfulness. So no matter what we're doing, even if we're working, we try to have our minds there present while we're working, to not be thinking too much. And so when we come down to sit in meditation, we also try to put down all our thoughts, no matter what it is, whether we're worrying about the past, whether we're anxious about the future. We just try and put all of that down for now. We chant in praise of the, the greatness of the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. And then we come to sit in meditation to make our minds peaceful. And it's normal that at times they will calm down into peace. And at times it'll be very difficult for, for the mind to, to gain calm. So as we're watching our breath, as it comes in our bodies, as it leaves, we can use our thoughts if our thoughts are very active. So we can think that these bodies are impermanent, they change. We can look through the 32 parts of the body and see that they're constantly in a state of flux and they all eventually have to decay and degrade. So we look at these 32 parts one at a time and go back and forth, back and forth between them seeing that they are unstable, that they change, and that they're just elements that have to disband. And when they do so, then, and when we see that, then we'll see into emptiness. A hundred years prior to this day, there wasn't any body of ours here in this world. It was just the elements. And so there was no attachment that we had to those elements as being me and mine. And the same in the future, in a hundred years in the future, there won't be any of our bodies here. No bodies of humans, no bodies of animals. Everyone will have died in the next hundred years. So everything that is of the nature to arise will stay for a while and then eventually will pass away. There's no self there, there's no me, there's no mind there. It all has a cause to arise, and then when that cause goes, that thing will have to go as well. So the Buddha taught us to use our mindfulness to contemplate into the nature of physicality of bodies until we see them in a clear light. So we use our contemplation 
And sorry, if we try to contemplate just into the mind, it's likely that the stability of mind won't be enough, that our samadhi won't be strong enough. And so trying just to look into the Vedana, into, into feelings, into our mind, into Dharma, that can be very difficult if uh, samadhi isn't strong enough and it won't be effective. But all of these things really gather together within the Dhamma, whether they are good things, wholesome things, bad things that arise in the mind, it's all Dhamma. All things external, all things internal, they all gather together in the Dhamma. So we should try to let go of all of this and let go also of our knowledge into that as well. If we gain knowledge into the Dhamma, understanding of the Dhamma, we let go of that and we don't attach to it. When we let go, our minds will touch into emptiness. But at the beginning, we develop our samadhi and then we take that to contemplate into our bodies. And this is something that Ajahn Chah really emphasized to bring the mind into a calm and peaceful state and then take that mind to contemplate the body. So we can use our thoughts to do this as well, to think about what our bodies are like and to contemplate into death. When we do this, then our minds will uh, develop peace very easily. We can see that this life is not sure, but death is sure. When we investigate and understand the nature of death, then the mind will feel a sense of ease and peace. And there won't be the anxiety and the attachment, the worry that we had before. So we use our memory to, to bring up that recollection of death, to see that our lives are not sure, that they change and they don't last. And in doing this, we're coming very close to wisdom. It'll feel very much like wisdom is coming up. But it's when we see clearly into the body breaking apart and we perceive into not-self, into anatta, that's when we can call it true wisdom. We won't have any doubts then about the path of practice and we'll be very firm in developing our, our morality, our samadhi, our wisdom. This path then can destroy any clinging that we have towards me or to mine. And it'll go very deep in our hearts. I'm sorry, the, the clinging that we have that is buried deep in our heart, we'll be able to, to uproot that and destroy it. So we see with our bodies that they contain three liters of blood. But if we take out just 50 milliliters, we can ask ourselves, well, is that me? Is that mine? If our minds are peaceful, then we'll see that that blood that we've taken out, it's not me. And then also reflect that the blood that is still within the body is also not me. But if our minds aren't peaceful, then we'll take it all as being self. It'll all be considered as mine. 
both the bloody both the blood external to us and the blood internal we can also take our hands and touch our bones through our skin and contemplate that this isn't mine we see that other people also have bones as well so if these bones aren't me aren't mine then those other bones also can't be theirs either and see that there's no self there's no other it's all just elements that go on in accordance with their nature if our minds are peaceful then we'll be able to see this with clarity and we'll be able to change our wrong views into right views so there was one brahman at the time of the buddha uh, diganaka brahman who listened to a teaching of the buddha the buddha asked him old age sickness and death are you if you don't accept these things then what will happen do you like these things and the brahman replied well no i don't like them the buddha then asked well when they happen what what's going to happen to you then how will you feel will that be suffering for you and he responded that yes it will be suffering it'll be suffering because there's attachment to these things so he was then able to understand this and to just let all of these things go in line with their nature his mind then became bright through seeing into the dhamma now when we contemplate these things it may not be very clear for us and that shows that the wisdom we have it, it's lacking energy and our samadhi isn't yet stable enough so we need to cultivate these things to to carry on developing them at this moment our morality our sila is very good we've restrained our bodies and minds very well so what's left to do is the work of establishing our minds in peace and collecting them together into samadhi we try this every day we put our our effort into this every day whenever any feelings arise in the mind whether they're feelings of attraction or aversion we use our faculty of wisdom to contemplate into that in order to bring our minds back into the center into a poised state initially this may take a long time for us to do to try and pull our minds back from from following after liking and disliking but as we carry on cultivating our hearts then it'll get faster and faster being able to do this to pull the mind back from running after liking and disliking is the same as knowing the practice the path of practice that leads us out of suffering it's the same thing having already a heart that's established in faith we need to then put forth effort looking into our bodies and mind and experiencing emptiness within our hearts if our investigation into the body bears fruit a very clear understanding then our hearts will go to another world there will be a great clarity in our understanding 
and we'll see exactly what this world is like. We'll see its nature uh, with crystal clarity. We'll understand that the mind that attaches is like this, and the mind that is empty and has let go of attachment is like this. But we can't just stay in that state because there's, there's something pulling us back. It pulls back from, from that other world to this world. So then we have to carry on with this path of practice, carry on cultivating it. Developing our wisdom until we're able to let go of self. Sometimes we'll have a lot of doubts in the path of practice. Sometimes we may feel very lazy or complacent, but we need to persist with it. We need to have that forbearance and to go against the feelings in the heart, to really try and carry on practicing, no matter what uh, difficulties arise. As we do this, then, we'll be able eventually to get to a state where all our doubts are, are abandoned, are let go of, are done with. Our minds then experience uh, an emptiness that comes from seeing the Dhamma. So we should all have the firm aim to understand the Dhamma for ourselves. And it's especially important for the monks to do this, to, to have this goal in our life of monks, to seeing the Dhamma. When we have that our sights set very firmly, then it won't be difficult for us to keep up the standards of the monasteries and the, and the duties that we have as monks. It won't be a problem to do this. We'll be able to sacrifice for our community. And also while we're working and we're engaging with these communal activities, we need to have our mindfulness there as well. When we get free time, then we should use that to cultivate our minds and to meditate, to seek out that time to practice and develop this path. The peace that we experience in our minds will then gradually increase, increase over time. But we do need to put in that effort and at least four hours a day for the monks, because we have that time to, the pra to practice. And the reason we have all this time is because the lay people give up to support us. So I give my Anamodana, I rejoice in that sacrifice of the lay people supporting the monks, giving us the four requisites so we can engage in this path of practice. We also have this time and opportunity as monks because of the Buddha. We can ordain because of him, because he developed his barami, and because the lay people have faith in him. So they, they have faith in the Buddha and also the Dhamma and the Sangha. So they then support the Sangha and give us the requisites. So as monks, what a monk means is, uh, in its truest sense, is that which is exalted. So we should always try to lift our minds up to an exalted state, to always be recollecting the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha by reciting the mantra of Buddha, Dhammo, Sangha, bringing our minds into stillness. Should always be contemplating into 
the impermanent and not sure nature of conditions until we can see the Dhamma for ourselves. We'll see the Buddha in that state of Dhamma and our faith in the triple gem will be unshakable. When we see into conventional reality, then we'll experience freedom, vimuti. So with the day of Visakha coming up very soon, we use that as an opportunity to pay homage to the Buddha and Dharma and Sangha through our practice. So everyone be very wholehearted in your cultivation of this path. <laughs>